Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Sunday Morning Live at Lee Road Baptist Church. We can't meet together, as we know, but we can meet uh, online here. It's a great morning. Uh, the sun is up. Let's pray together. The sun comes up. There's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. So bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord God, on this morning and every morning, we thank you for who you are, for all that you have done for us. You are our creator and sustainer, our saviour and our Lord. And we ask you today for your blessing as we come to worship together. May you bless us with your presence by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Come and be evident among us. We thank you for all that you have given us and we come with gratitude, thanks and joy to praise you, the one and only true God. Amen. Well, it's good to be able to start the day with a bit of prayer and then some worship. Morning, Steve. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well, actually. How are you? Yeah, it's nothing like a sunny morning to lift your well, spirits as well. I think it does help. <laughs> yeah, after all this rain we've had, it's just nice, isn't it, to have a, a day when we can see glory of God in the skies and yeah. uh, to be able to come together like this. How's it going with homeschooling, Steve? I should have asked before, but that's, oh. uh, how's that going? Well, I, I, I would love to be able to um, tell you personal stories of this, but I must confess, um, uh, Lauren's taking the, the, the fair weight of that. We, because both Lauren and I are key workers, the children are in school three or five days of the week, So, and the other two, Lauren's um, uh, not working. So she takes that on, which is a challenge, um, but we're conscious that so many uh, are doing it and, and having to juggle work lives at home as well. So we, we can't complain, but it's... Um, we're looking forward to it returning to uh, some sense of normality in the in the near future. We hope. So you're not prancing around your living room in a leotard doing Joe Wicks exercises? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I've done a couple further. of I've done a couple of assemblies with the children, which has been nice for their school. They've been reaching out and asking for a bit of support, so um, that's been fun. And and there have been uh, occasions where I've been involved, but no, Lauren's doing the the heavy lifting on that one. Brilliant. Well, look, we've got some other folks joining us this morning. Let's say hello to Francis and David and to Dan and Annie. Hopefully that morning, Francis. Morning. Morning, David. And we pre-family are here from Albania. Oh, oh, the whole gang. It's lovely to see you all. Look at that, the whole gang. Of and you've, you've had a couple of birthdays this week, haven't you? Not only the project, but also one of you had a birthday. Was it yesterday who had a birthday? Yeah. Carrot, happy birthday. Thank you. I saw your, your cake on uh, uh, Twitface or something like that this morning. Yeah. I can't remember which one it was I was looking at. But uh, there we go. Well, look, it's good to see you. We're, we're going to be hearing from Francis and David. David, uh, how are you doing? Stuck up uh, in the middle of somewhere? Yeah, the far north. Yeah, north far of Essex. North. <laughs> yeah, yesterday, yesterday it felt like the far north with sort of sleet and cold and rain. It was yeah. horrible. Like you, it's a lovely sunny morning. Let's hope it carries on like that. Brilliant. And Francis, it's good to see you as well. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay, thank you. Like everyone else said, nice to see the sun. It is indeed, isn't nice it? You up. It's, it's really good. So, Steve, we've got a video of you speaking later on, but you want to pose us 
And it's, I think it's a really interesting question this morning. Yeah, so um, obviously the chats are open in, in Facebook and on YouTube. If you're members there and can join in, please do say hello. A number of you have been already. Uh, but for the question that we'd like you to engage in in the comments is, would you rather, would you rather live outdoors for a year or in a single room for a year? Ooh. Would you rather live outdoors for a year yeah. or in a single room for a year? You'd rather live outdoors for a year, would you? <laughs> Fantastic. There you go. You can interpret that how you want. You can put in your provisos if there are conditions under which your answer uh, matters, but stick those in the comments. We'll come back to that later on. Brilliant. Please do engage with that. So we're going to lose David and Francis at this time and Steve as well. And uh, I'm just going to ask, ask you all a few questions. Some people will know all about you because you've got family members here, but some people will wonder who on earth you are and what on earth you're doing in Albania. So that, that's really my first question. Um, you live and work in Albania. What is it you're doing there? Okay, so we've been living here since 2014. Uh, we were sent by BMS and the Baptist churches in the UK to really pioneer some church planting and working with the most marginalised communities here in Tirana, Albania. So often some of those people that other people might not see, whether that be homeless people or people living with long-term disabilities who are isolated at home and really wanting to build a community centre right here in Tirana, Albania. So we set that up in 2016 and we're just seeing how that has grown and developed over the last few years really. So what sort of things do you offer? I mean church planting, some people won't know that phrase Dan, I don't know what that means and just say a little bit about the other things that you do. Yeah I'm probably worth saying that I suppose Tekora simply means at the bridge. So it's a metaphor okay. to, to connect a divided community. When we first came to Toronto, what was noticeable, there's lots and lots of poverty. And some of that, that poverty, people completely kind of invisible. People just got used to seeing it. So we established um, a building, which is an old store, grain house. And Tekora essentially is three things. It's a church, it's a community centre, and it's a, um, I suppose, a development agency offering um, health and education and social welfare programs. Um, why church? Well, church, there wasn't a church in 2016, and now there's a, uh, a church for people that essentially just didn't connect with church at all, didn't know that Jesus loved them, didn't know that, you know, that God cared about them. So that's why when there was need to be a church. People very, very much on the edge. You can imagine going down to your local rubbish dump and seeing kids living there. That, that's the kind of level of poverty we're talking about. Um, and other programs we're doing are things like um, connect, so say building bridges between different groups of people, refugees, uh, people for whom life don't, don't win very often, people with um, complex disabilities. We're doing skills programs, so education providing um, some of the glue to help kids stay in uh, school. So a lot of those kids are from the Roman Egyptian communities here. Um, and we're also doing things as such as uh, we have a rehab centre here. Lots and lots of people uh, couldn't access mainstream kind of health services, especially rehabilitation and therapy. And Annie and Gina uh, set up a five-day uh, clinic offering uh, rehabilitation services and other things to do with recovery, helping people, especially in COVID, uh, who are living in absolute crisis and helping them to, to move out of poverty into employment. 
I mean, I was going to ask you that. How are you coping in this pandemic period? Because I saw a little bit earlier in the week of, of some of the things you're coping with. But just, just give folk a flavour. No doubt you're coping with homeschooling and all that same sort of stuff as folk are. What are the other things you're coping with? Well, um, so it's very different here in lots of ways. So back in March, when the pandemic started, Albania had one of the strictest lockdowns going. So we had permits to leave the house, only one person allowed out. And so that was obviously really significant for all of us and our family. Uh, and also at Tecora, we needed to do a lot of work to supporting people who are really in crisis because many people, if you're living already on the edge, something like that happens and you're immediately, if you were working black market in a factory, all of those stopped and there was no support for people. So a lot of the initial stages was working with people in that way. Um, and also for a lot of people needing digital devices, um, again, we support a lot of kids in our community to be able to access schooling online in that way. Recently, um, the here, the situation has changed quite a lot. So I'm sorry if you guys are all coping with homeschooling. The majority of the time, our kids are now back in school um, full time other than the last few weeks, which has been a bit different. But, um, but that has actually brought its own challenges in terms of working out what is possible, both being respectful and considerate of those within our midst, but also understanding that many people that we're working with haven't been able to get connect digitally or in the way that we're doing that today. So that's required us really being very thoughtful about what is right to do and what isn't in our context. So uh, there's an opportunity to fight to engage with you later on in our coffee room Zoom meeting later on. But just give me two or three things that people can be praying for you about in case they can't come later on. Can I give you one quick one for each of the areas we work in? Is that yeah, right? that's great. Okay, the first thing is, in terms of church, um, pray um, it's growing, which is brilliant. Pray for resources to help us develop new cells and leadership, uh, which is an area which we need to develop. Uh, in terms of our rehab work, we're starting to do some um, unique sensory, what well, we've done, doing some unique sensory work uh, with people with complex disabilities. We want to try and extend that to reach more people. So please, please again, pray for resources and partnerships to help us sustain that. Uh, the connect stuff, it's all about connecting people. People are yearning for connection at the moment, aren't they? And as Annie said, please pray for wisdom as we do that. Most people don't have digital devices, the internet. So pray as we try to maintain connection, especially with homeless people, with refugees in our local area. Um, and also partnerships with refugee centre nearby. Pray for our skills. We started to respond by setting up a homework club and loaning out some digital devices. Uh, so please pray for Maggie, our coordinator, she, she, she does that, but also our partnership with the local schools. And lastly, sorry, is recovery. Uh, lots and lots of people, crisis, we've been giving out food a lot during the uh, pandemic, but we want to move people from food into kind of employment. So help us, uh, pray for us as we try to build those connections with employment services here. Well, I'm going to pray really briefly for you now. We'll pick up some of that stuff later on. You're going to join us uh, later on in this broadcast and then in the coffee room. But let me quickly pray for you. Father God, we just ask that you bless this family and all that they're about, the church, the community engagement, the recovery stuff that they're involved with. Lord, you know the, the numbers of people that they see on a weekly basis. Just give them insight to know how to respond in each context, we ask. And for all the other things they're coping with this in this pandemic period, Give them, again, insight to know how to use those resources well. We thank you 
the church is growing. And once again, we ask that you will give those leadership resources that are so desperately needed. Father God, we ask your blessing on this project and the projects that they engage with locally in their community, we pray. Amen. Guys, thanks very much. We'll see you a bit later. Um, and now it's time to bring in um, Francis and David again. And Francis and David, you're going to read for us. So it's over to you. Thank you. Okay, so this is the story of the lost son. Then Jesus said, There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he'd gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses, he said. All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God and I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. Given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over to one of the houseboys, he asked him what was going on, and he told him, Your brother came home. Your brother has ordered a feast. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he is home, safe and sound. The older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, Look, how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours, who's thrown away your money on whores, shows up and you go all out with a feast. His father said, Son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. And now back to Steve. One of the reasons why this parable is so well known and remains deeply challenging after so many years of its telling and retelling is because it appears so scandalous even by our traditional understanding of repentance and forgiveness. 
let me point out a few things that we might often gloss over. Firstly, the son's return home has little, if anything, to do with loving or missing his family. He comes home because he is dying of hunger. As one translation says of the younger son, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here am I dying of hunger. So I will go to home and I will say to my father, you know, when he finally came to his senses, could that not be interpreted when he was finally able to make sensible calculated decisions? It's hardly an indication of deep remorse and a desire to re-enter relationship with his dad. Bluntly, my sense is that he was rationally planning what needed to be said to get a meal. Secondly, his father forgives him before he ever gets a word out of his mouth, whether repentant or not. It says, while he was still a long way off, you know, the father moved towards him to welcome him and express his love. One translation says of the father, who I imagine was meant to be listening to the son's speech, but the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. You know, once his day of partying is over and the prodigal comes home, the roast goes straight into the oven. All is forgiven before any sincere apology is offered or perhaps even felt necessary. The wages of sin is a lavish party for the sinner. I don't remember that being taught at Sunday school. And then thirdly, the older brother is often characterised as the villain when the fact is his baby brother has come to live on his, the elder brother's share of what is left of the family fortune. Are we really not meant to have any sympathy for him? It's quite a scandalous story. And some early Christian authors contended that those of us who are Christians should never put ourselves in the shoes of the younger brother. If the door to forgiveness was so readily opened to Christians who should know better, then where's the motivation to be righteous? to live right, to be faithful. You see, in the early days of Christianity, followers of Christ lived under constant threat of being dragged by the Romans before the altar to Caesar and commanded to worship. Your choice was to comply and betray Christ or refuse and be responsible not only for your death, but the death of your family too. You know, in such impossible circumstances, quite a number of Christians relented. They did what they were told. But when they returned to their fellowship, they were banished. You know, one early theologian taught that while it might be possible for God to forgive, the church should not. By welcoming such egregious sin back into the church, they would be defiling Christ's body, which of course should be without sin. You know, thankfully, these views did not go unopposed. Gregory of Nazianus, the bishop in the fourth century, really spelt out his objections to the purists. He said, 
Do you not accept repentance? Do you not shed a tear of mercy? I hope you may not encounter such a judge as yourself. And he took special exception to the teaching that there was a hierarchy of sins where material greed, for instance, was forgivable, but sexual sin was not. You sound as if you yourself were made, were not made of flesh and blood, he said. Come on, stand here on our side, on the side of human beings. I love that call to stand on the side of human beings because where we stand has everything to do with what we take from this parable. Those of us who have done unforgivable things in our lives, who have broken promises, betrayed trust, who have let the people we love so much down and witnessed the pain it's caused them, we know what it is like to watch these people struggle with our weakness while we wait for the damning verdict that we deserve. But when those words do not come, when the people who have suffered because of us rise up and say, I'm forgiving you for that. Well, that is when true repentance usually begins, not before the pardon, but after it, which is why we defend this story so passionately. And the people who find it offensive tend to be those who through valiant discipline or sheer lack of imagination have never broken any of the Ten Commandments. You know, they have never dipped a toe beyond home's boundaries. They've never squandered their inheritance. They've never abandoned their responsibilities. Faith has to count for something after all they say. It has to be more than just talk. If Jesus didn't mean for us to live virtuous lives, then why did he keep calling us to follow him? We're the ones that are truly trying to live that calling. But we must try to resist the temptation to reduce either of the two brothers in, these, in this story into these stereotypes, the fun-loving brother who learns his lesson versus the grumpy older brother who has never put a, a foot wrong then we may be able to recognise that we need them both as much as they need each other. Because each of them embodies at least half of what the gospel is all about. As long as they remain estranged, neither of them can live whole lives. The younger brother lives entirely by grace, having dishonoured his father, blown his inheritance and all but starved to death. He's weighed his options and discovered he has only two. Stay where he is and finish starving to death or go home and beg his father to take him back. And when the old man surprises him by running to meet him, dishonoured father running to meet the boy who did him wrong, there is no doubt what forgiveness looks like, nor how much it costs. The younger brother is brought back to life entirely by his father's grace. Can we honestly say that that is wrong? And the older brother, meanwhile, lives entirely by obedience to his father. You know, the theological word is righteousness, or if that's too unfamiliar for you, rightness. 
you know, the older brother has devoted his entire life to being the very best, the most right son he can be. He's never left his father's side. He's never gone against his father's wishes. He has been loyal, respectful, hardworking and honest. Can we honestly say that is wrong? And sadly, the way this parable is so often handled, you would think that his father told him he was wrong because we're meant to see the older brother as the mean Pharisees listening to the story, the ones that Jesus often tells of. But in the story, the father does no telling off. The father has nothing but words of love for both of his sons. In the face of his younger son's humble return, he orders his servants to dress the boy like a prince. And in the face of his older son's despair, he says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. This is a man who refuses to choose between his children. All of his energy instead is focused on getting them back together again, since each of them has something the other badly needs. If the younger son is going to survive, he badly needs some of his older brother's faithfulness and devotion. If the older son is going to survive, he badly needs some of his younger brother's brokenness and humility. There are no heroes or villains here, just two brothers who have grown up alongside each other, but all their lives have defined themselves by their difference from the other. Who am I? Well, I can tell you one thing, I'm nothing like him. But it's time for the father to address the tension between them and call them both back into the family home. And he does this by tipping the balance towards the younger son, the prodigal. Not because the boy is better in any way, but simply because he is come home. We had to celebrate and rejoice, the father explains to his resentful elder son, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and now he's found. And this puts the burden of a happy ending squarely on the shoulders of the older son. Let's not forget, no one has even gotten around to inviting him to the party. He didn't know anything about it until he came home from a full day in the field to the sound of music and dancing. Now, according to his father, however, the party is not really about the younger son. It is really a family reunion, or at least the possibility of a family reunion, if only the elder brother will come inside the house. In order to do that, of course, he will have to make a choice between being right and being in relationship with his family, which I feel certain is a choice most of us will have experienced. And those of us that have know it can be a wrenching choice to make. Do you dismiss your own airtight case and go inside? just so that you'll have someone to eat Christmas dinner with for the rest of your life? Or do you stay outside in the field where you're right, where the air is cool and clear while everyone else is hugging and dancing inside the house? Remember that the crime the older brother is so upset about here is not the reckless behavior of the younger brother. It is the gratuitous forgiveness and undeserved love expressed by the father. 
That is what the elder brother will be condoning if he walks through the door of that house. Not his brother's behaviour, but his father's love. You know, I wonder if we've ever distanced ourselves from Christians who have embodied this unconditional welcome to those we consider beyond the reach of God's grace. In order to remain part of the family, the older brother will have to make peace with the outrageous immorality of that love. Either that or leave home himself, in which case he, be he then becomes the new prodigal son. My children have recently become familiar with the game, Would You Rather? It's a daft game where you pose two conflicting options uh, to the others and force them to make a choice. Would you rather the weather was really, really hot for the rest of your life or really, really cold, for instance? And quite often the reply comes back from Joseph, I can't choose. Isn't there another option? But of course, that's not the game. I don't know if you have ever noticed, but there is something about having only two choices that can be absolutely paralyzing. And often when a third choice comes along, it comes as a gift. Perhaps the older brother does have a third choice. Perhaps it isn't a simple choice between being right or being in relationship with his father and his brother. Is it not, after all, an option to redefine what righteousness is, what being right is? Perhaps the older brother can abandon his limited definition of righteousness, of being right all alone outside, for a more generous definition of righteousness, of recognising and embracing his brother. Not because it makes sense or because it's fair or sends a proper message to anyone about facing the consequences of their actions, but simply because it is what the father does. The father embraces wrongdoers. The father welcomes home many we might not. Even if they only became home because they have nowhere else left to go, even because they, even before they have fully repented, even at the risk of losing obedient sons and daughters who cannot or will not do the same. Come on, the father says to his eldest son, stand here on our side, on the side of human beings. As I said at the start, this passage in Luke's gospel has not always gone down well with the church. We have argued about it for 2,000 years, and I expect we will continue to argue about it for 2,000 more. We are so afraid of letting people off the hook. We are so resentful of unearned love, unless, of course, we happen to be the ones towards whom the Father is running with his arms wide open. Let me pray. All merciful, all forgiving, all loving God, thank you again for this remarkable story. Lord, this morning, would you help us know where we need to stand within it? Lord, 
if today we know we have done the wrong thing, if we know we have wandered away from you and are living a life that is ultimately damaging us and those around us, a life that doesn't resemble the one that Jesus calls us to, a life in his company, in his shadow, in his image. Lord, even if we don't know that, but we are hungry and we have nowhere else to turn, Lord, would you enable us to stand in the shoes of the younger child, witnessing with horror you running with all your might to welcome us, to forgive us, to love us without condition, simply because you caught sight of us coming home. And Lord, today, if we know there are some people we cannot imagine in your house, in our home, if we ever find ourselves feeling resentful that you appear to celebrate others more than us, Lord, help us to hear you say, I love you. Everything that is mine is yours. Help us to stand on the side of human beings for no other reason than that is where you stand and where you invite us to be. So all who seek you will find us with our arms wide open, just like yours. Amen. Dave, thanks very much. This, this difference is between having only two options. I mean, I mentioned it a little last week. You've expanded it this week, so thank you for that. Uh, and people have engaged with your question, so let's go there first. And uh, I know Andy Rotherham's put up a, uh, a typical Andy uh, comment. He said, as soon as there's great weather, no spiders, snakes, rats, or vampire bats, and he wants <laughs> a, a glamping tent outside. He wants to be in a tent like Harry Potter, basically. And uh, I think that's a typical Andy sort of comment, but uh, I, I get that. And also, if we're talking about outside, my question was, what do you mean by outside? And Denise has put a very thoughtful uh, comment up. She said, I would prefer to live in one room. Having worked with the homeless and young people in Oxford and Reading uh, as a full-time youth worker, I know how dangerous it is living in, in a hostel because of violence and drugs. Sleeping on the streets is also dangerous. So it depends on your context. I read your question as typically the way I would read it, in a field in the middle of nowhere. I, I, you know, I can't think of anything better. Personally. Um, but other people see it in other ways. But having only two options for a question is is really interesting i don't know dan and annie what did you relate to that in the story the of the prodigal son uh, oh sorry i think we meant that but the question i think for me it depends whether there's other people there or not really well yeah <laughs> outside with lots of people inside on your own and who those people are yes absolutely that's um, a that's a sorry go on you carry on i'll come back to that in a minute <laughs> sorry your question was i think uh, was there any things from the sermon? Is that right, that we can... We can yeah, I was, just, I was just thinking of the choices thing. You know, sometimes, you know, last week I, I talked about how the world often sees there are only two, two choices in life and we're either for or against you and, and talking about God's grace is, is a third option. And then Steve's picked that up and taken that a bit further this morning. I just wondered how, how, how you perhaps saw that, particularly with the work that you're doing. Yeah, um... I think, sorry, the point, I was just going to jump in and say that as, as people, we love to be able to put people and things in boxes, don't we? Absolutely. 
that's what we do about these choices. Like we say, well, I'm not like the older brother because, or I'm not like the younger brother because. Whereas actually we know in reality, both ourselves and the life situations that we live in, life isn't like that. That's not what it looks like. And I think it's interesting living in a society where many of us would look and see that people are poor there is always a hierarchy. There's always, well, yes, but that person's got that room, so they're not like me, or that person's not got that. And I think that, you know, when we're thinking about these choices, it's about saying, look, actually, the importance not to judge the situation that we are in or others are in, because we so rarely know what's behind that. And I think that's what I see through this story, you know. He, the father runs. He doesn't know what's gone before. He doesn't know the situation that the younger brother has come from. He knows it must have been bad, but that, but he doesn't wait to ask those questions. He immediately runs. And start, And I love the bit that you said, Steve. He's not listening to, oh, well, actually, I'm just come and work for you. He's going, quick, order the food, quick, get this ready, because he's back. And that's what I'm so excited about. Can I just jump in, Andrew? Yeah, I was, Steve, I was just on... The, the, the thing it's funny when you listen to your own sermon you start thinking oh I should have said that but I think this thing about redefining righteousness that was the title that I that I gave this sermon is is that the we sometimes think of righteousness is about right living and I think that's how the elder brother understood it it's about right living but without right relationship that right righteousness isn't isn't whole and that's what I mean about redefining it it's not just about living right rightly it's about being in right relationship and actually um uh, dan's answer to my question which wasn't actually intended to relate so so intentionally towards this story about are you going to be inside or outside but the 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 older brother can't be righteous while he is out of relationship while he's out of the company of his father and his brother and and the key thing is if we think we're living righteous lives but we're not in relationship with the people that God is in relationship with, who are often the people that we disapprove of or we, uh, you know, we don't want to be in relationship with, then we are outside of the presence of the Father. And how can we say we're righteous if we're outside of the presence of the Father? That, that being in relationship is critical if we are going to live righteous lives. I just, that's the bit that struck me as I listened to, back my, to my own words. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting. I've done the same because I've been quite hard purposefully on what Steve always laughs when I use this phrase, when I call the, the fact that a lot of the church are a bunch of self-righteous moralists, which we are. Uh, yeah, I always laughed again. And uh, um, hey, I'm not. No, of course you're not. <laughs> no, good. good. I'm glad to hear that. But um, the truth is sometimes I was talking with someone during the week who was said, I've never thought of this story from that perspective before. But the context, of course, was Jesus talking to a bunch of self-righteous moralist church leaders. That's who he was talking to. Um, but having that tension of just those two uh, options, the reality is in life that that is often the case some of us are in. In fact, many of us, we only have two options, yes or no in or out or the equivalent thereof take it or leave it so on and so forth and uh i guess steve in your in your uh, in your research in your your planning that's part of human nature a lot of what we've been talking about annie's just been rightly saying you know i've got this a little better than you even though i've got nothing really um is that part of human nature is that how you see that is that 
what's in this. And it, Charles Dickens calls this the greatest short story ever written <laughs> because it encompasses right. so much. Is, yeah. is that how you're seeing that? Yeah, I mean, there is a part of it that's human nature. And again, I think um, I think it was Cecilia had said, are we, are we being told that we should not judge the father accepts yeah. and forgives the younger son? He assures the elder son that he loves him. Like, I really want to emphasize that there is no heroes and villains in this. Mm-hmm. There, there are things about each other's character that both the brothers need. And, and, and there is part of each of their characters that is part of our human nature. And the joy of this message isn't that God went to the elder son or Jesus went to the Pharisees and said, you're all a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites do you see what i mean he went and said oh man i love you i love you and and it is quite it's quite a rare approach for jesus to go to the pharisees with a message that that reassures them of god's love for them but he's saying but the party's over there you know that's where right. the party is we're going to have to stop there because time is moving on but uh, f- steve thanks for that annie and dan and everyone else it's been good to see you uh, and we'll, we'll pick up where we'll see you are in a moment or two. I've got one or two just brief notices that I need to bring. Next Sunday, uh, 10.30 as usual, uh, we'll be online like this for uh, Sunday morning live. So do join us. Um, you'll be able to do that in the same way that you're doing uh, this Sunday. The food bank is back open again for donations on our church premises Sunday, Monday and Wednesday, 10 to 11. So please Uh, Do what you can to support that, as we're hoping to do, continue to do that. We've also got the opportunity of continuing to give. And if you don't give to us in the usual sorts of ways and you'd like to donate through perhaps texting, you can do that, £5, text to LRBC and on 70970, £10 to LRBC at 70191, or you can go and donate any amount on our website, That's www.lrbc.org.uk forward slash give. And just to remind those of you who are part of our church family, you'll have been sent a link to the Zoom coffee event immediately after this broadcast. And Dan and Annie and the family will be there. An opportunity for you to ask some questions. Well, have a great week, everyone. I'm going to pray and then we're going to uh, be involved in the grace together. But let me just pray. Father God, on a cracking day like this we thank you for your grace to us we've thought so much about that this morning and so in all that we do whether we join others for coffee in a moment or we go off and do other things may we know your grace your acceptance and your care for us uh, each day and every day we ask this in jesus name amen so let's uh, join in with others as we say the grace together may the grace of our lord jesus christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all, now and evermore. Amen. 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 Amen.